And now, we're back for more fun and inspiration with social media expert Deb Creer and her fabulous guest. Good morning, good morning, everyone. I am Deb Creer. I'm the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And I am so excited because we are joined today by someone who I've been connected online with for good golly, several years. We've never met in person. Uh, you know, we've just kind of done the like maybe in a quick little comment every once in a while on, on each other's posts. So, you know, this is going to be a great way for me to get to know him better. So please join me, everyone, in welcoming Scott Monty. Deb, you may be regretting this after. I know. No, never, <laughs> never. See, and, and I know that you've been on my program before. It was when the wonderful Hugh Briss served as a guest host one time when I wasn't able to make my own program. Yeah. So, you know, and, and you are definitely an industry pro. So this is going to be so much fun. Um, first, for people who don't know who you are, let me tell them just a little bit about you. Now, you do have a website, which is scottmonte.com. And so I'm doing the brief bio. There's a longer bio there, which is a lot of fun. I love longer bios also. But, you know, if we did it, we'd still be here, you know, or we wouldn't be able to be here because it'd be going on so long that we wouldn't be able to actually talk. <laughs> so here's, your, here's a, just a little bit about Scott. And please, everyone, check out his website for more information. So Scott Monty is an internationally recognized leader in digital communications, digital transformation, social media, and marketing. As CEO and founder of Scott Monty Strategies, he counsels brands and agencies on strategy, executive communications, influencer management, the customer experience, and digital initiatives. Scott spent six years at Ford Motor Company as a strategic advisor on crisis communications, influencer relations, digital customer service, innovative product launches, and more. He also has a decade of experience in communications and marketing agencies where he had clients that included the small guys like IBM Healthcare and Life Sciences, Coca-Cola, American Airlines, T-Mobile, GE Software, and more. He is a board member of the American Marketing Association and an advisor for RPM Ventures, My Dealer Service, Crowd Companies, and Clever Girls Collective. He writes about the changing landscape of business, technology, communications, marketing, and leadership at scottmonty.com, where he distributes the widely acclaimed weekly newsletter, The Full Monty, and is the executive director and co-host of the Sherlock Holmes website and podcast, I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. So again, Scott, welcome. Thank you. You know, this really is going to be so much fun because when I first knew about your existence was when you were working for Ford. And that had to be a great time because they were introducing some new cars. And I was just fascinated with what you did for that brand. Um, because, you know, kind of uh, the automotive industry as a whole has gone up, it's gone down, you know, all these various things. But what I really liked applies to every business. And that was that you put personality and in, in the posts and you had fun with them. Um, you know, and, and what was it like to work for a company the size of Ford, especially when they now did they reintroduce the Mustang? Is am I correct in that? Oh no, the Mustang has been uh, that, that was a oh. consistent thing for over fifty years now. See, I'm not a car guy, but, uh, so that's that's all right. <laughs> I wasn't a car guy when I was at Ford either. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that worked uh, in my favor, actually, right. because you know, part of the challenge that Ford had at the time was to 
repair its reputation and mm -hmm. to get in touch with people that weren't car people and mm -hmm. help them understand exactly what Ford was doing. Right. And uh, there were a lot of assumptions out there. A lot of uh, people thought they knew what the American car industry was all about. Mm -hmm. It didn't help that uh, GM and Chrysler uh, went into bankruptcy and took a bailout from the U.S. government. Right. Ford was, um, you know, really keen on making sure that people knew Ford was not taking that same road. Right. Mm -hmm. So it gave us an opening to start a conversation. Right. And what I found was that people just, they resonated with hearing from like a real live person that worked at mm -hmm. Ford rather than mm -hmm. just hearing the company line or, you know, uh, watching commercials or whatever the standard trope was. They actually appreciated getting the straight dope from somebody that was on the inside. And, you know, I just, I was myself. I, I'm mm -hmm. interested in a lot of different things and mm -hmm. the stuff I engaged with people on ranged from technology to, uh, literature to music, to cars, mm -hmm. to, I mean, you name it. So, um, again, people just appreciated having a real person that they could connect with on the inside. Right. You know, and, and I think to me that was probably the best example and why I liked following you was I knew it was Scott Monty, a real person. Um, you know, so many businesses, and I don't care if they're the size of Ford or they're, you know, somebody that's working out of their spare bedroom, they get scared of putting that real person out there. And so they think that they always have to be their brand and, you know, and, and they can't have fun with it. They can't bring in other things. You know, I love it when companies actually talk about something besides their business to show that, you know, they, they do have other things, whether it's community relations or, you know, all of those various things. And to me, now there probably were other people out there, but you were the one that I really noticed that put that human face to that brand. Uh, yeah. And, you know, early on, it, it wasn't any, you know, grand strategy. You know, we were in the midst of a crisis. Mm -hmm. And so I jumped in as best I could with the tools that I had at hand and just did what I knew how to do. Right. But as And that's communicate. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, that's what it all comes down to is just communicating with people. Exactly. Exactly. And I think one of the one of the things that a lot of brands uh, don't seem to grapple with, especially in this day and age when information flies around the globe at the speed mm -hmm. of light or at the speed of a tweet or, or misinformation, I should say, flies around, mm -hmm. um, is that they have to say something. Right. I mean, even if you don't have a handle on the situation, even if you don't, if you haven't formulated the official company stance or whatever, just tell people that you're aware that something's going on, that, you mm -hmm. know, you share their frustration, whatever it is, because... Mm -hmm. The, the human mind is a, is a really interesting organ. In the absence of information, people will make up their own narrative about things. Oh. Right? And in the, in the social media world especially, we see that happen all the time. Yeah. And, you know, somebody posts, you know, gee, I think such and such, and then it becomes fact. And, and it goes from there, and it just spreads like wildfire. Yeah. I was, uh, I was traveling to uh, Arkansas uh, last year. And uh, I had to go through uh, Chicago. Uh, everyone knows and loves O'Hare Airport, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> and it was mid-afternoon, late afternoon, and there was a storm system moving across the mid part of the United States. Wasn't too worried about it. It wasn't affecting Chicago. Um, and all of a sudden, there's, there's no plane at our gate. And this is like, I don't know, maybe an hour before we have to leave. 
and mm-hmm. and the time is closing in 15 minutes before the flight still no plane no update other than you know the time perhaps changing on the board um and then our flight time uh comes and goes and our flight does not and mm-hmm. there's still no plane at the gate oh well we have like no information to go on at this point and the airline which shall remain anonymous uh-huh wasn't issuing any kind of statement to us wasn't telling us to stay put wasn't nothing mm-hmm. now it turns out we found out later on that the storm system that was moving across the united states uh that was at a level that the plane that they had planned for us to take could not fly higher than ah, okay mm-hmm. so they needed new equipment so they were out hunting for new equipment well I get it. I, I understand. Right. Th- there's the challenge. Here's what you need to do to overcome mm-hmm. it. Let us in on your little secret. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, 150 passengers. I think we should share in that information. Probably, right. right. They wanted to keep you safe. Right. And and I have no problem with them telling that to us. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they they closely kept that secret. They guarded that information. And in the meantime, people got frustrated. There's a narrative going on in your head. We're like, oh, it's. This airline again, they always screw me every time I'm in Chicago, mm-hmm. you know, and you end up getting so ticked off before the the, the whole scenario is done that you, you're already predestined to hate them no matter what the outcome right. is. Even if they come mm-hmm. through and you're still going to be angry for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and of course, you know, if, if you've got Twitter, if you've got Facebook, you started posting about it online, oh, sure. you know, blank airline has, has messed me up again. And, you know, all of these things, um, it reminds me of a, a, I don't know if it was a game, but you know, it was something we used to do when we were younger. And we did this in Girl Scouts where we all lined up, you know, shoulder to shoulder and there'd be, you know, 10 girls, 20 girls, 30 girls, however many. And an adult would go to the first person in line and whisper a simple little sentence in her ear. And then she would turn and repeat that sentence to the person next to her and so on and so on. And it was always so amusing to get to the very end because it never, ever resembled the original sentence. <laughs> and, you know, and it, each time it seemed to have a word change and, you know, or, or somebody would put their own twist on it. You know, maybe they would say, you know, the blue sky as opposed to sky, all these things. And we still see that happen today. And, and I think for businesses, they've got to be that first person, but then they have to be the middle person and the person that's three quarters in. And so they have to see what is being said about them, whether it's, you know, on blogs or online or just, you know, at the, the neighborhood coffee shop what the heck are people saying about your business? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and we see it backfire all the time that, where, you know, it, it was something that could have been taken care of. And, and I know you do crisis communications could have been taken care of so simply, but you know, somehow, and I think a lot of it is businesses just assume, well, they'll forget about it or it's not important. And of course it all depends on what else is going on in the world. But you know, to me, it's it's like you said, you get out ahead of it. You know, if if people know we're, we're working on it, we'll get you information as soon as we can, then they're fine. And they talk about something else. Yeah. And I think part of it, too, is if you've done your job well leading mm-hmm. up to that point, you right. know, if you've if you've, um, you know, built a community, if mm-hmm. you've grown a base of advocates, you know, people who are in your corner. Then when something untoward happens, when a crisis breaks, yeah, the company needs to say something about it. But if 
those fans are paying attention and watching, they're actually going to go and carry that message on your behalf. Right. Should someone come up with something that is outside the realm of, of the truth, mm-hmm. you know, someone says, Oh, the, the company's planning to, um, you know, I don't know, phase out whatever product. And, and mm-hmm. those that are in the know say, well, no, they, they aren't. And, and here's what they've actually said. And, right. and I've been a customer for, you know, umpteen years, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So there's some credibility there. Mm-hmm. Well, and if anything, it's even more credible because, you know, if company X tells me, oh, we're not doing blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But if, you know, Betty or Bob, who I trust, and maybe I only know them on Facebook, but, you know, they're, they're still at that real person. And that's, it comes back to what we were saying at the start. You believe a real person. Sure. If the company is telling you something, it's like, Ugh, yeah, right. But when the real person says, here's what's going on, you're like, okay, then, then I'll, I'll at least give you the benefit of the doubt. Right. Which is, you know, getting back to your original point. We had that all built in uh, in me when I was mm-hmm. at Ford. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was at the company, but I was also a real person. And I put, my, I put my own reputation on the line mm-hmm. because I so believed in what Ford was doing. Right. And, and I think people appreciated that. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I would come across people from time to time that, you know, didn't know me from a hole in the wall. And were like, ah, oh, you're just a shill. What do you know? And mm-hmm. even then, I'd have supporters come out of the woodwork and go, uh, no, Scott's the real deal. He's not a shill. Mm-hmm. He'll tell you w- what's wrong as well as what's right. So, right. you know, if you can, if you can get that kind of uh, that, that humanization going on within your own company, within your own spokespeople, um, mm-hmm. then it's going it, to it's gonna be just an additional tool in your, uh, your quiver. Right. Now, how do you work with companies when you're, you know, training them to have this spokesperson, whether it's a media spokesperson or a social media presence or, you know, any of those various things? And I'm going to put this in air quotes, the lawyers get involved and say, oh, my gosh, no, you can't say that. You can't be human. You can't you can't say we're sorry. You know, how do you work with that? And, and of course, part of it is just having a good policy in place. But how do you convince business owners and, and executives that that real person really does need to be there? Well, look, I, I tend to work with uh, senior level executives uh, mm-hmm. to the point where, especially if it's a small business, I'm working with the CEO. Uh, there's a reason the general counsel reports to the CEO and right. not the other way around. Mm-hmm. You know, it's counsel. It is not a directive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remind them that that is the case. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of good business practice, I mean, obviously, you want to take heed to what your lawyers say. And mm-hmm. frankly, while I was, uh, you know, in a large company like Ford, we had, um, you know, some really good collaboration between the communications department and the legal department. And we realized that <laughs> early early on, I, I use this line on the uh, the legal team, they um, they laughed about it with, with, to their credit. But I said, mm-hmm. uh, the legal department. You guys are the ones that put the no in innovation. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they got that because it's their job, you know, to, to protect right. the company from They're risk. They're to protect the company. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. But the more we collaborated early on, the more we got to understand what motivated each other and, mm-hmm. and what we needed to accomplish, the better off we were at working together and finding solutions that worked for both of us. Right. So right. it's not an impossible situation. And again, there are ways to be human without completely throwing your legal team under the bus. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm a firm believer that every company, you know, whether it's two employees, you know, if it's one employee, you might be okay. But <laughs> if it's two employees or more, 
you should have a social media policy, mm. um, you know, that talks about, you know, it, you as an employee can post about this, couldn't post about that. Uh, we have a situation right now in Atlanta that I've been kind of watching on the news where a principal of one of the big schools here posted something on his personal Facebook page that, you know, it's questionable. I mean, it, it definitely was something he shouldn't have posted, but he could easily lose his job. And I don't know, I haven't haven't noticed if they have a social media policy and he ignored it. But, you know, one of the things that I also have people say is, well, it's my personal Facebook page. My company shouldn't be able to tell me what I can and cannot do. It's a First Amendment right. <laughs> How do you work with people in those situations? Well, first of all, I remind them that they have or they should have uh, an overall employee communications right. policy and guidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, social media to me, it's, it, it's, it just gets lumped under that. Mm -hmm. The other thing I remind them is, look, whether or not you have a Facebook account or a Twitter account or whatever, if people know you work at a certain company and you act in a certain way in public, mm -hmm. that's reflected on that company. Right. And yeah, uh, smarter people can understand that this is not the company saying this, but again, it reflects on your employer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think we've seen that twice with people who were in uh, Uber. They were were uh, clients, and and you know they got their ride. And of course, a lot of those cars, for everyone's safety, has video cameras. Right. And you know, it, one was a man, one was a woman. They both acted extremely inappropriate, um, abusive to the drivers, things like that. And then, of course, it came out where they worked. They were senior level executives, and I think they both lost their jobs um, because of what they did. And and it was just they were sitting in the back of a car. They'd had one too many, and things things went downhill rapidly. That, that's a that's a great analogy, Deb. Uh, yeah, the guy was a Taco Bell executive, and now mm -hmm. I heard just last week that he's suing the Uber driver. Oh, of course he is. They, I'm sure that they, he says they, you know, they didn't ask him if they could videotape exactly, or whatever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, his lawyer uh, mm -hmm. thinks he can get about $5 million for it. Oh, mm -hmm. which he needs and, because he won't be employable. For yes, the nobody can employ him. <laughs> Well, and, you know, and, and they probably will settle. I mean, you know, there's only so far that companies will want the bad publicity. And, and so they'll just say, fine, you know, take this little check and go away. But it, it always surprises me when a video hits, whether it's, you know, a football coach, you know, a, a celebrity, a, an executive at Taco Bell, any of those things, when they're surprised that they've been videotaped because virtually every single phone, at least in the United States, has a camera. Right. You know, and, and they're like, well, I didn't see him. Well, there were five people standing there with their phones out. Did you not wonder why they were pointing at well, you? And do we really need a society where people are going to be held to account simply because right. there's cameras around? Why don't you just mm -hmm. act the right way because it's the uh -huh. right thing to do? Right. You know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's it comes back to personal responsibility, to behaving like an adult, you know, all of those various things. And, and, but, you know, don't be surprised if you do something stupid, if it does, you know, hit the, the airwaves, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it, it does surprise me when people really are just astounded that somebody taped them. Well, that's, and that's interesting too, because I think that leads into another subject, Deb, and that is, mm -hmm. you know, this notion of a personal brand, you know, we've right. talked about representing the brand and, and using mm -hmm. personality to do that. People are concerned about the personal brand, you know, should I have mm -hmm. a separate account for my uh, my work life and a, and, mm -hmm. and a different one for my personal. 
And my argument, at least for me personally, always was no. I, you know, right. I am who I am, and I'm going to mm -hmm. be consistent regardless of what channel I'm on. Mm -hmm. And I can't see myself, you know, being someone different at work than I am at home. Right. You know, I, I just I don't think it's uh, I think it's disingenuous. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's certainly not, uh, you know, along the order of transparency that a lot of uh, mm -hmm. customers look for. Honesty and transparency is actually mm -hmm. the second most um, uh, critical uh, value that uh, customers want businesses to embody. The first mm -hmm. being quality, obviously, but then they want honesty and transparency. You don't get mm -hmm. that by having separate accounts and separating right. your life out. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, it's, it's like if you went to a cocktail party, um, would you not tell people about your job if they asked? Right. I mean, you mm -hmm. can't do that. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, whether it's the cocktail party or your Facebook page or, you know, church or, or wherever it is, my philosophy is always those people that I'm talking to who see me, who, you know, are interacting with me, maybe they're all the way across the room and they're just watching, you know, am I smiling? Am I polite? All those various things they could be potential clients. And, you know, so do I want to alienate them without ever even having met them by misbehaving? Right. I mean, you can, you can gain a lot of, um, a lot of insight from mm -hmm. seeing people when they don't think, quote unquote, the camera is on or right. when they're in a work situation. And mm -hmm. that really tells you volumes about who they really are. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, for me, it is a little bit of a catch-22 because I tell people it's important to be authentic to yourself. You know, if you're, uh, and, and more along the lines, if, if you are a funny person, then don't be this very serious person online. And, you know, if you are, uh, politics, great example. If you support X candidate, X party, uh, you know, you're going to support them. But don't carry it to the extreme of alienating people by, you know, saying that the, the other candidates or, you know, all of those things are, you know, buffoons and, and things like that. You know, I even go through that. I'm a, a big college sports person. And, you know, and of course, I'm down here in SEC and ACC land and, and I'm a Pac-12 or a, and I was a Pac-12 person. Now I'm a, yeah, I'm a Pac-12 person. You know, they change those I know, and right? I never know where they are. <laughs> and, you know, so it actually gets me a little off the hook here because I can talk about my Colorado Buffaloes and they go, who? Um, but you know, you don't want to alienate people by taking things to an extreme. It's okay to say, Hey, I hope that, you know, you know, uh, Bama beats Auburn this weekend, period. <laughs> you know? And, and then don't take it any further than that. Right. Right. And, and of course politics, oh, you know, we just, we just won't go there. Well, you can let the politicians make buffoons out of themselves. This is the the political season, so they all seem to be doing it, and they, they manage to alienate uh, a, a whole swath of people on their own, so right. they don't need your help. Right. You know, and, and, and it is, you know, it's, it's interesting coming back to talking about, you know, the, the executives and, and, you know, the, the senior level people. A lot of times people look to them for almost guidance sometimes as to what they should be doing. And, and I mean, you know, we, we see celebrity endorsements and, and all of those things. And to me, that gets really tricky because, you know, I, I saw one the other day where, you know, uh, a politician had changed who they were supporting. And this was a big deal and a big story and that, you know, now granted they were a politician also. So, you know, they were, it was like one sports person saying something about another one, but you know, it, it does get really 
interesting when you've got a CEO who is, you know, maybe if he just says, hey, I'm, you know, looking forward to watching the debate tonight. And then he gets drawn into conversations or even worse, he's not even part of the conversations mm. and it goes downhill right, after that. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, when, when I was at Ford, um, we had to be very careful because there were uh, folks in the Republican Party who applauded our decision to go mm-hmm. without government assistance during the bailouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are those in uh, the Democratic camp that were uh, very uh, in favor of how Ford and its union were working together. Mm-hmm. Right. Bottom line is, you know, Ford is in the market of making cars for people who drive, mm-hmm. not for Republicans or, or not just for Democrats. And right. you need to remember that because if you alienate an entire group and this goes with mm-hmm. taking a stand on any kind of social mm-hmm. issues or mm-hmm. uh, religious or, you know, anything. Um, mm-hmm. If you alienate an entire group, I mean, that can seriously eat into your bottom line. It can. You know, and, and it is difficult sometimes because, especially if you are a big business, there are things that, that happen. Um, I spent several years as a lobbyist in Denver when I was there. And, you know, we represented education companies. We represented AAA. We represented NRA. But it was a very small little piece of legislation, and that was the only thing we did. We also represented ConocoPhillips and ExxonMobil. And, you know, the the thing that I liked about when I was doing it um, – we did a lot of, uh, for the, the big automotive companies, we were doing, or not the automotive, the, the uh, gas companies, they were doing a lot with environmental issues that people had no idea they were working on. So that was kind of cool to bring that different thing in there. But as you know, I, it, for companies, it is tricky because in many cases, they do have to take a stand. They have to say, we're supporting the union. We're not supporting the union. We're supporting this legislation. We're not, you know, things like that. How do you keep that kind of balance going where, because you, you will alienate people, you know, that's just, and, and we just kind of figure that happens no matter what, but how do you kind of walk that tightrope? Well, I think you need to figure out exactly what matters to your business. You know, mm-hmm. you probably have a core set of uh, values for your business. You have business objectives uh, and, and you need to, in some cases you need to make a stand. In other cases, it's, uh, completely circumstantial or, or, or tangential to your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you need to understand what the core of your business is all about. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, um, you know, look at, uh, look at Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Right? They're right down there in your, right. mm-hmm. in your Atlanta area. Um, they, they don't, they don't open on Sundays. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's because of the founder. You know, he said, I, mm-hmm. I want to give my employees the day back. It's, it's a day to commit to family, to God, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So when the issue of gay marriage came along uh, and they took a stand on it, it was actually part of how they viewed their, uh, their business strategy. It right. was part of their corporate values. Mm-hmm. So in their case, even though there were protests all over the place, uh, people uh, saying they're going to boycott Chick-fil-A. And then on, on the other side, you had people lining up to go eat at right. Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. to show their mm-hmm. support. It, it, it made sense for Chick-fil-A because mm-hmm. it was part of who they were. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and it comes back to that being authentic. Um, you know, the, it was an interview, they asked the founder and, and so it was his personal view, but of course he was, you know, he's, he's passed away, but he was the, you know, it was his company and it was very much the embodiment of his, his personal views. And, you know, and, but he was, 
that was how he felt, and he was not going to hide it, right. even if it lost him business. Right. Right. And in that case, you know, he's willing to to lose the business, you know. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of times, people aren't, and they'll they'll right. start down one road, and then they'll 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 hear the boycotts or the protests or you know everyone mm -hmm. lining up to uh, get on the other side, and then they'll back off. Well, that makes them look even weaker at that point mm -hmm. because it, then they don't know what they stand for. Right. right now, now you're just a, a tool of public opinion rather than, you know, completely and consistently expressing your business values. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, there are certainly times where you do change your mind. So then explain it and say, you right. know what, this new evidence came out or, you know, whatever. And then people should respect you even more because you, you didn't draw that line in the sand and completely refuse to go over it. Exactly. Exactly. So what do you think about um, CEOs and, and senior level management being on social media? Because that's one of those kind of tricky things, especially if they don't exactly know what they're doing. <laughs> well, you know, again, I think they need to figure out why they're there. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if they're there simply because uh, somebody told them that they have to be there, mm -hmm. well, that's not the right reason. Right. If you're there because, you know, you want to you want to listen to customers firsthand, mm -hmm. and you know, I can't tell you the the number of times when I was at Ford that I exposed a number of uh, the the C level team at Ford to what was being said online. They were blown mm -hmm. away, right? Because right. they've been isolated from that kind mm -hmm. of customer engagement, right? So if that's important for you as a leader, if it's important for you to stay in touch with what customers are saying about you, great. Um, it, it also can act as a uh, as a potential customer service triage. You know, mm -hmm. I know John Ledger, the CEO of T-Mobile, very very vocal CEO, um, mm -hmm. not only an advocate for his company but for the industry. Mm -hmm. He fields a lot of uh, customer complaints, and uh, the customer service team works with him and his account to get those handled. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a that's a very valid reason for a C-level executive to be on there. Right. Um, thought leadership, right? Oh, definitely. Helping mm -hmm. to express, you know, in, in more detail uh, about where it's going. And look, uh, whether it's, whether you're using medium or, uh, the LinkedIn influencer uh, mm -hmm. network, there's great tools out there to help executives actually have a voice and mm -hmm. to have longer form content that they want to share about, again, where the industry is going, uh, changes they're making to their company and to, to stand out as a thought leader. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, each one of them is going to have a different style. You know, I've worked with CEOs who would give me bullet points and then I would draft up something for them. Others, you know, they're going to write the whole thing themselves and they want somebody to just proofread it. You know, all of those things. But again, it came back to them. You know, they were that CEO saying, here's what's going mm -hmm. on. Um, you know, and, and it's funny, I worked with one CEO who this was, you know, long before social media, but it was a, a company that was pretty visible. And he was, he was a fabulous CEO. He was an absolutely horrible media spokesperson, <laughs> but he recognized that, you know, he knew because he, he tended to uh, sometimes respond a little quickly, not always think through, gee, you know, is this really what I should be saying? And, you know, uh, the, the lawyers again got involved and said, oi, but, um, you know, he was, the nice thing was he recognized that because when we started doing media training and I was thinking, oh, dear, <laughs> I'm going to lose my job over this one. Um, he said, 
I shouldn't be doing this. Mm. So, you know, what we did, and, and I know you do media training, and I want to talk a little bit about that because I think it's kind of one of those lost arts. But he, you know, he said, I should be the person who, yes, the CEO does have to on occasion, you know, especially depending on the situation, be that face. But he said, you know, I want to go out there and I want to say, you know, we are here because of blah, blah, blah. Now I'm going to turn it over to the true media spokesperson because they can explain it in, in more detail. And that worked out perfect because he, you know, we had somebody who had a very good presence on camera, all of those various things. So they got to see the CEO. They got to know that he cared. But then he turned the question and answer and the more detailed uh, response over to somebody who was much better at giving it. Sure. And I think that's the sign of a good leader anyway, somebody who understands, uh, you know, what they what they've got a team in place for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you hire people for different skill sets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's as you look across your your executive team, as you look at your bench, you want to find people who are good at different things. Right. You know, you, you may have somebody who's really good and dynamic and, you know, just very natural that you may want to put in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. You may have someone else who's very articulate, um, but perhaps isn't as good in front of a camera, isn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get them to, uh, you know, to do some writing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you've got the folks that, that aren't into writing, but still have some amazing thoughts to share. You know, have them have them dictate it. Have them, ah, uh, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, which you could do a you could do an audio podcast with that, mm-hmm. or you could you could just get them to you know make a recording into their phone and then you transcribe it into mm-hmm. uh, something in in print, you know. So it, it's about finding everyone's talent and tapping into that and mining for it and not trying to turn them into something that they're not. Right. Yeah, because there is only so much that can be taught, and especially media relations. I mean, if somebody is absolutely terrified of a camera. You can make them more comfortable, but, you know, do you want to do that or do you want to, again, play on their strengths as opposed to making them uncomfortable? Right, right. And, you know, it's funny because at at any level of management, I think we're all looking to, okay, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And many times people try to improve on the weaknesses. They try and, Mm -hmm. you know, fill in those gaps when, frankly, at some point in your career, you just have to ignore the weaknesses and simply concentrate on doing what you do really well. Concentrate mm-hmm. on those strengths. Don't, of course, you're going to be weak in some areas, and you're never going to get stronger in some of them. Right. Don't even mm-hmm. worry about it. Just focus on your strengths. Mm-hmm. And, and improve on those. Absolutely. Um, you know, if it weren't for spell check, I couldn't write anything. And that's not going to get any better. <laughs> you know, I recognize that. And, you know, luckily computers fix those things for me. But so then I focus on my writing as opposed to, is this word spelled right? Right, right. Exactly. I want to talk more about media relations because I'm old school. Um, You know, when I started in PR, we we didn't have social media. We had media relations. We and I I started uh, working for the American Cancer Society in Colorado. Absolutely wonderful place to dip my toe. Holy cow. I went in head first, um, it with media relations. And it really was a skill at that point and something that a lot of now granted, you know, we were a, a nonprofit, we were a large nonprofit, but I think so many companies and executives, and again, it doesn't matter what size you are, 
they think, oh, I can just send a tweet to a reporter or I can have my salesperson talk to somebody down at the newspaper and I can get, <laughs> you know, my, my article printed. Talk to us about media relations and why it's still so very important to, to have those skills. Well, reporters are some of the busiest people on the planet. Um, mm -hmm. Because every publication now is is deathly concerned about traffic right. and about how many views it gets. And if you look at some of the most recent statistics, uh, circulation at major newspapers continues to slide. There are only two uh, newspapers in the country that have more than 500,000 subscribers each. Right. And to me, that's just depressing. I grew up with newspapers. I love newspapers. Well, I mean, it's a it's a sign of the times, and mm -hmm. and when there's so much content that is so readily available, um, and you've got these reporters that are on deadline that are trying to you know maintain the views to their site because that that means more advertising dollars, which means they still have a job. Mm -hmm. um, they're not going to respond to a tweet here or there, um, a barrage of phone calls, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, statistics show, mo the most recent survey I've got show that over 90% of journalists still prefer to be contacted by email. Ah. Right? Um, and they like you to know what it is that they're working on. You mm -hmm. can't just send the same blind bulk email to every single reporter or every single right. blogger for that matter. Mm -hmm. You need to know what their specialty is. You need to have read some of their most recent material. You know, you need to make them feel like they are the most special person in the world mm -hmm. when you're contacting them, right? And if you can give them something that they can't get anywhere else, if you can help them do something more quickly, more efficiently than they could otherwise, you're going to be more likely to be covered, right? Right. So rather than creating, you know, there, there was this, this thing, wow, I guess it was almost 10 years ago now, uh, known as the social media press release. You know, where you bake all the stuff into this this release. Well, right. That's that's nice. It's nice to have all those assets, right? Mm -hmm. But they still need to be contacted via email. Uh, they need to have options for high res and low res, right? Now mm -hmm. you don't need high res photos as much anymore because it's not all going into print. Mm -hmm. uh, low res is fine because the majority of people now are consuming their news in what way? On mobile devices, mm -hmm. right? Um, they need to they need to have all the quotes. Uh, in in a particular uh, uh, order or 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 mm -hmm. in a particular um, uh, fashion, mm -hmm. right? So the easier you can make it for them, the more likely it is that they're going to be covering you, right? Well, and as you said, they are bombarded. Uh, you know, I was talking to a health reporter, and this was oh ten years ago, probably, and she said she routinely had stories pitched to her two hundred times a day. And it's just kind of like the headline. You know, if you didn't catch her with the very first sentence, then she was gone. Um, you know, and, and so the subject line, great story for you. Yeah. She doesn't even open. Right. Um, right. You know, and, and, and that I think was, you know, it was, it was a trick, you know, to try and figure out what they wanted. Because, you know, when I started doing uh, public relations, that was back when, hello, we still sent out paper press releases and printed photographs. And we mailed, you know, a thousand of them at once. But we also got to know the reporters, you know, as you were saying. Right. We, but we took them to lunch. We did all these various things. And now they don't have time for that. I know, right? But have you found following the reporters, and maybe this is just a necessity now, 
following them on social media helps and and you know so you know what the heck is going on with them oh, sure and and the other thing that they love too is when you retweet them when they've got a headline mm-hmm. you know and a, and a link to an article that they've written for their mm-hmm. paper um they like getting additional eyeballs on that right. right so if you can help people find their material mm-hmm. again it's you helping them achieve their goals uh mm-hmm. if you can do that then they're going to be more willing to talk to you when the time comes mm-hmm well, and it also is the same thing with those influencers that we talked about. You know, they might, you know, if you retweet or, you know, comment on something once or twice, they're probably not going to notice. But if you do it frequently and and are sincere about it, I mean, you know, resharing the article and saying, great article, well, whoopee. But if you, you know, if you really show that you read the article, that you thought about it, you know, maybe they did a post that was five reasons why our company is now doing this. And you said, oh, my God, you know, I really love number three or, hey, I've got an idea for a number six or something like that. Mm-hmm. They might actually start paying attention to you, which is good. You know, maybe you want a job at that company or, you know, all these other various things, because it comes back to what we were saying at the very start. They're people, too. Right. You know, and 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 they like it when somebody notices this great article that they wrote, or you know, maybe it was that they posted a picture of their family over the holidays, and you just said, you know, gorgeous family. You know, they they like that too. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's definitely a two way street. Mm-hmm. And it does come back to that being authentic. Uh, you know, if if it's not the CEO posting or you know the owner of the company or whoever, and somebody is acting like they are. Then it comes back to bite them. Um, you know, I've we've seen that happen where it was their communications person or, you know, heaven forbid, their high schooler, you know, or, or the intern who is is posting on their behalf. I'm not going to say posing as them because they should be posting on their behalf, but where they get something wrong or it's it's just very clear that it's really not that person who's posting. And, you know, that kind of backfires on people, too. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about Scott Monty's strategies. And, you know, we talked about crisis management, social media, things like that. What all do you do? Because it's, it's a great company. Well, I split my time between consulting and public speaking. Okay. Um, looking to move more towards the public speaking end because mm-hmm. uh, it means less time away from home, for one. Right. Um, and I love, I love reaching uh, large audiences. I, mm-hmm. I love being able to, and, and that's basically a, uh, it, it's a, it's a teaching uh, kind of setting. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you can get up in front of a classroom in front of 30, 40 people, or you can get in, in front of an audience of three or 4,000 people. It's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing. I love sharing uh, my insights of what I've been, uh, you know, what I've learned in, in my mm-hmm. time in corporate America, as well as, uh, you know, what we're constantly learning every single day. You know, and mm-hmm. I, um, I, I'm, I'm a, a sponge for information. So I am always gathering, you know, the latest statistics and mm-hmm. uh, product launches and things like that. So I try to stay on top of this. But throughout all of this and, and looking back at my education, which was actually in classical civilization, I've realized that the, the latest shiny objects, the, the newest technologies mm-hmm. are not all that. Uh, right. They they are more of the same. And if you understand what motivates people, if you understand psychology, if mm-hmm. you understand history, if you understand sociology, uh, people are still motivated by the same things that motivated them two, three thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. 
And if you can get that and understand that and, and really live that, then it doesn't matter what technology comes along. The principles will remain the same. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to uh, educate my audiences on. And it's what I counsel my clients on as well. Right. Well, and that's that's what I like about the full Monty, which, you know, I do have to laugh at the name. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of this composite every week of the great articles that you found. Yeah. And, and it's in large part thanks to people that get the stuff in front of me, you know, mm-hmm. people that share things on Facebook and uh, Twitter and, and other sites. I've subscribed to a lot of email newsletters. Mm-hmm. I've got people constantly feeding me information. So I, I kind of look out over the horizon and I see all of this stuff and I pick and choose the ones that I think are the most relevant or uh, that have something to say that is um, uh, either groundbreaking or mm-hmm. uh, thought-provoking. And I, um, I, I, I assemble them in a way that makes sense and provide some commentary and analysis. Right. And, and mm-hmm. if, it, if it saves people time every week, then that's the value I provide. If it helps mm-hmm. somebody see something they wouldn't have otherwise seen, that's another value. Well, and it's a time saver also because, you know, there are only, you know, 28 hours in the day and there's only so many articles that, that we can read. And when you kind of have this great synopsis of, you know, obviously you can't get them all. There would be no way to, to do that. You probably only get a very small sampling, but you find the cool ones. And so then, oh, I don't have to go look for the cool ones because I can just look at your information. Now, does that mean I stop reading and stop looking? No. And maybe at some point I'll have something that, that you think is great. Sure. But it it is great because you are that very good resource. Yeah. And again, if, if uh, people appreciate that and they keep coming back, uh, great. And if they, mm-hmm. they understand that that's the type of thinking that I can bring to their event or mm-hmm. that I can bring to uh, their agency or their brand, then I'm for hire. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and what I love about what you do, and, and you had mentioned this when I had asked you to, to be a guest on the program, is it all comes back to just the fundamentals of communication. So talk to us more about how the fundamentals have gotten lost. And and I don't know if it's because of technology or whatever, but why do we need to, to think about those again? Well, I think we need to take it from a, a historical approach, Deb. Mm-hmm. If you look at the rise of mass media and, and the way advertising first began, um, and let's start with the age of radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where soap operas actually began. And, right. of course, they're called soap operas because the soap companies were the ones that were uh, sponsoring these uh, daytime dramas, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was either brought to you by, or you know there was a break in the in the show, and you heard from the sponsor. That's a model that followed onto television as well. Mm-hmm. It's interruptive uh, advertising, uh, and that worked well for what fifty plus years. Mm-hmm. Then the internet came to uh, to the world in a, in a in a significant way in mm-hmm. the mid-1990s. Right. And we took what we had known from advertising for almost the whole century before, and we mm-hmm. simply lifted it up and we plopped it down on top of the Internet. All mm-hmm. right. This is arguably a model that was already broken as we moved into the information age on the Internet. And we're, we're simply putting it on a new platform. 
Then, 10 years after that, comes social media, which was heralded as, you know, a, a, a real breakthrough because this is, these are people talking to people. It's right. people have the, uh, the ability to become publishers. I mean, to talk back to companies. We can compete with the big brands. Absolutely. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody's mm -hmm. on the level playing field. And what do we do? We took that, that advertising model that's now broken twice mm -hmm. and plopped it down on top of social media. Right. So we've, we've simply almost slept walked through the whole media model mm -hmm. um, and, and transported the same broken model onto every single innovation that we've had. Now, contrast that with the way people actually acted in person, say, 100 years ago, where mm -hmm. they're in the general store and they're sitting around the pickle barrel. Or, you know, even 30, 40 years ago, when you walk into the bank or the post office and they know you by name, right? Right. Well, what do you have to do today? You have to provide like three forms of ID. Uh, you have to put in your, your social security number. You're, you know, you're a cog in a big system. Mm -hmm. And social and digital was supposed to be a way to start to humanize that again. And yet, we've gotten too wrapped up in the technology. We've gotten focused on what we can do rather than what we should do. Mm -hmm. And I saw a quote recently from... Well, I'll tell you who the executive was in a minute. The quote was... Uh, the more advanced we become technologically, the more important it is to embrace the fundamentals of human communication. Mm -hmm. and that was from Angela Arendt, who is the senior VP of retail for Apple. Ah. Right. So if an Apple executive is saying, you got to get down to the basics, you got to get to the mm -hmm. human element. Um, and that is one of the most technologically advanced companies in the world. Right. Then I think the rest of us need to sit up and take notice. Mm hmm. I think a big part of it, and, and this is one of the, the subjects that you talk about, is storytelling. And and you give presentations on that. Why is storytelling so important? Because it is part of this getting back to the fundamentals. Um, you know, talk to us about storytelling. Well, humans, humans are amazing. We thrive on stories. Mm -hmm. And whether it's stories that were written... Uh, as, as pictures on the sides of caves from thousands of years ago, or the oral tradition of Homer and the Iliad, mm -hmm. uh, all the way up through the present day, we thrive on stories. You know, um, every little kid says, mommy or daddy, tell me a story. Mm -hmm. That's how we're wired. So when it comes time to doing storytelling with regard to your communications or your marketing, it would seem like it would be a natural flow. Mm -hmm. well, of course, if humans love storytelling, let's tell them some stories. Right. Here's the problem. Who's the hero in most brand stories? It's the brand. Mm -hmm. The brand makes It's them, not the consumer. No, the brand makes themselves the the, the center of mm -hmm. the the story. And that's like going to again, my cocktail party analogy, going to a cocktail party and listening to some bore talk about himself. Mm -hmm. The whole time. That's not interesting. Right. I guarantee you when you've gone to a cocktail party and there's been somebody there who's constantly asked you about you and gotten you and, and teased you information out of you, you walk mm -hmm. away going, wow, that was the most interesting person I've met in a long time. Mm -hmm. and, and they haven't really said much about themselves at all. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what a brand needs to do in corporate storytelling. They need to be a minor player. They still need to be part of the story, mm -hmm. right? This isn't just storytelling for the sake of storytelling. It's actually to advance the brand. But 
They need to be a minor character. They need to advance the story somehow, but they need to make the reader, the consumer, feel like they are the hero, that the consumer is the hero, not the brand, Mm -hmm. and that the brand was there to help move the action along. Mm -hmm. Well, and one of the companies to me that really gets the whole storytelling thing isn't even talking about themselves, and that's Budweiser. You know, all of their commercials and, you know, as as we're getting ready to tape this, Super Bowl is getting ready to come up. And <laughs> and the favorite thing is, you know, what the heck is, is, you know, the commercials going to be and what is Budweiser going to do this year? But, you know, yes, they have the Clydesdales in them and Clydesdales are very much a part of that brand. But, you know, the little puppy that gets lost and then found and the horses love it and we're all just, oh, weepy and weepy. They didn't say one thing about beer. But we all thought this is a cool company. And you look forward to the next chapter of their story. You know, I've already been seeing posts about it. Uh, you know, they're not doing a puppy this year. They're featuring something else. And then they've turned the the filming of those into a whole big YouTube series sure. and, and all sorts of things. And we love it because it is telling a story. And And as I said, not once did they mention, hey, we have beer. You know, because right. the puppy didn't drink the beer. You know, <laughs> the the people in the in their stories aren't drinking beer. You know, and and that's what I love about them is now. Granted, they are a huge brand, and when you hear Budweiser, you know beer. I mean, you know, it's not that they're reminding people that they have to to have beer, but the companies that tell those stories get it. Exactly, exactly, and and you know the the example you mentioned with the Clydesdales, and and it doesn't matter if it's the puppy one or if it's the one. Uh, you know, with regard to September 11th or whatever, mm-hmm. those all have one thing in common. They strike an emotional chord, mm-hmm. right? And I think if you can, if you can aim for the heartstrings or, and whether it's making people happy, whether right. it's making them sad, whether, whether it's making them empathetic, mm-hmm. if you can start to evoke some emotion from them as mm-hmm. part of your storytelling, then that's something that's going to remain with them. Right. And it does remain with them. I mean, you know, all you have to do is start humming, I'd like to teach the world to sing, (laughs) and you're immediately thinking of Coke. And, I mean, you know, that ad was 40 years ago. You know, it's it's an old ad. And and it's funny because it is still, now they did a, a revival of it, and that didn't go over as well. But... You know, it is still a big part of their experience when you're down there at, at the world of Coke. And it, it did. It kind of sunk into your brain that, you know, this was a great company. They were, you know, it was it was about peace. It was about tie-dye. It was about, you know, singing. And, you know, it really did stick with people. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you tell companies, we've got just about five minutes left, who say, but Scott... I have a very boring product or service. How can I tell a story about it? Well, look, they've, everybody's got something that they're passionate about. And if you've got a very boring product or service, mm-hmm. and that's the way you position it, well, maybe you need to take a second look as to what you're doing. Right. I mean, what you do matters. Mm-hmm. It matters to someone. It should matter to you as an employee there, as an mm-hmm. owner. But it probably matters a great deal to the people that depend on it. Mm-hmm. And if you can position it not in terms of describing all of the uh, all of the features that you offer, because look, anybody can go down and list features. You know, I can mm-hmm. go onto a website and you know put 
you know, a, a MacBook Air up against a, a, a you know, a Dell equivalent and run mm-hmm. through all of the specs. That's boring. Mm-hmm. What does it allow you to do? What does it allow you to feel? What, what does it allow you to achieve that you wouldn't right. otherwise be? It's, it's about the benefits, not mm-hmm. the features, right? Find, find your employees that are passionate about your business. Find customers whose mm-hmm. lives have been changed. Mm-hmm. And it could be their personal lives or it could be their professional lives. Uh, but get them to start telling the story in their own words. Maybe that'll give mm-hmm. you some inspiration for how to go about right. doing your storytelling. Well, and and as you said, look for where that passion is. Um, I'm part of a networking group that is a very small group. We've got only about 15 members. And one of the people in there sells insurance, which, you know, insurance is insurance is insurance. And he got up one time when we do our little introductions and was telling about how a friend of his didn't have life insurance and what the effect of that was. Mm. And we were almost all in tears. Yeah. Was he selling us life insurance? Sure. You know, at the very end, he said, see me if you need a quote. But that's all he Soft said. sell, yeah. Yeah. And it, but it was a true story. And we knew it was a true story. Um, you know, and, and, and that was the other thing is we knew he hadn't made that story up just to tug at our heartstrings. Right, right. But, you know, there, as you said, there are ways to find something that makes you feel good. And maybe it's your community relations. You know, maybe you do have a business that, you know, they're, they're accountants. Okay. You know, that's, and not to knock accountants, but you know, it's kind of hard to make that sexy, but maybe they do some great nonprofit work and, you know, things like that so that they can show that they're, that they're human, you know, that it's not just a company, it's a company that cares. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Scott, we are almost done. So tell people how they find you and how they connect with you online. Well, uh, I am Scott Monty everywhere you want to find me. So whether <laughs> it is my website, scottmonty.com, or Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, uh, just search for me there. Follow the links that you've got up on your website. I uh, would Great. be delighted to, uh, to hear from you. And it's Monty with a Y as opposed to an just E. Just like the full Monty. Yes, yes. And the cool thing is you can subscribe to get the full Monty every Monday morning just by going to your website. That's what I say. Get exposed to the full Monty. (laughs) Well, we've got about 30 seconds left. What is one great tip that you have for people who are still thinking, oh, I just want to sell my product. I don't want to have to worry about all this other stuff. Well, good luck selling without making (laughs) relationships first. Mm-hmm. And no matter what formula or what, uh, what platform you use, it's all about connecting with other people. You know? Right. <laughs> Business is about people first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you sell and what you do, you know, that's secondary. And you have to be able to build some kind of trust and some sort of relationship that will drive attention and ultimately drive sales. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I've been talking with Scott Monty. We've been having a fabulous time. Um, as always, we just scratched the surface on this. And so that means that we'll have you back again sometime. Um, so again, Scott, thank you so much. Love it. Thank you, Deb. And if you're trying to find me online, I'm just like Scott. It's just my name. So it's just debcreer.com, D-E-B-K-R-I-E-R.com. And until next week, everyone have a great week.
Thanks for listening to Deb Career, your social media friend. Tune in next time to listen to more great tips, techniques, and trends for using social media. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.